we begin the Thanksgiving series for 2019 that we're calling Windfall. Now, windfall is defined as, I'm going to read this, an apple or other fruit blown down from a tree or bush by the wind. So you're there and boom, this apple lands on your ground. You say, wow, a special blessing, uh, and you eat it. But it means more than that. It, or it may mean a piece of unexpected good fortune, something you didn't realize, typically one that involves receiving a large amount of money. I'm just reading that, okay? I read that last part because that statement about receiving a large amount of money is the way we normally think of what defines a blessing uh, from God, right? It's the kind of, <clears throat> kind of thing we're thankful for uh, around Thanksgiving. We got a better job. We got a new car. We moved into a new house. We got accepted into the college uh, that we wanted to get into. We met the love of our life. You know, those kinds of things that we consider to be great blessings from God, those are the kind of things we can just praise God for, lift our hands in the air and say, wow, God did something special for me. In this series, we're looking at four different kinds of windfall blessings. They're very real blessings from God, but we don't always think of them or recognize them as blessings. They are unexpected or at least overlooked windfall blessings. And the first windfall that we're going to take, talk about today is this one. We are blessed with a need. Well, if I had a need, I, I, I thought the fulfilling of the need, that was uh, uh, where the blessing comes in. But we're blessed with a need. And, and what I'm particularly talking about today is this. God designed us to need each other. God uh, designed me. I need you. And you need me. And we all need God. And that's the way God, we're, we're not just these independent, totally uh, uh, separated kind of individuals that walk around on the planet. From the very beginning, when God created the first human being, a man, uh, he said this, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. After God had created the perfect planet, the perfect environment, the perfect plants, no thorns and no thistles and none of those, those flowers that just vines us reach out and, you know, cut your arms up when you're trying to mow grass along the woods and things of that nature. Perfect animals. Everybody was vegetarian uh, in, in those days. And after he had created the perfect man, and put the perfect man, the only perfect man other than Jesus that ever lived, by the way, and he didn't make it too long, but the perfect man in the perfect environment, there was still something missing. And God said the only time before sin that God ever said, not good, not good. And what was missing? Human relationship. That what, that's what was missing. People are not designed to live alone. What the first man needed to complete him was the first woman. We were made for marriage. We were designed to live in relationship with each other. We are created for community, to be together. But we often see things a little differently than that because we really honor, in our society, we really honor and value independence, you know, uh, I don't need any man to take care of me, right? I don't need any woman to tell me what to do. 
We don't want to have to depend on somebody else. Why? Why don't we want to have to depend on somebody else? Well, the answer is because people are imperfect and they will always let you down. People will always let you down. Sometimes it's not their fault. You know, they, want, they didn't want to let you down, but they got sick. They didn't want to let you down, but they got called to war. They didn't want to let you down, but they died. And they let you down. And so we said, well, I'm never going to trust anybody else. I'm never going to have a relationship with anybody else. But it doesn't, can't work that way. We want others to meet our needs, by the way, but we don't want to make the commitment to them that makes them a priority. That's, that's kind of part of relationships. You've got to make somebody else a priority. We want to be financially blessed. That means we don't want to have to depend on anybody else. we got our money all together. Here's a problem with, with relationships and with needing others. Needing others makes us vulnerable. And that's why we're so bad with relationships, because we don't like to be vulnerable. Uh, that's the reason that when it comes to marriage, people want to kind of just live together for a while and try it out. Make sure it's going to be okay before, because they can walk away. They, they don't want to be vulnerable. But God, God designed us to live together. God designed us to depend on each other. Now, I'm not talking about uh, a bad relationship that's referred to as codependency. Codependency is characterized by an excessive reliance on another person for approval and for a sense of identity. We don't depend on each other for approval or a sense of identity. That can only come from God. But we do rely on each other. What I'm saying is it's okay to need other people. It's good to depend on other people because when we try to do life alone, we miss out on the very best part of life. The best thing about life is not investing enough money to be able to retire comfortably. Amen on that. I'm all for it. But that's not what life is all about. The best thing about life is all about relationships, with or without large sums of money. That's still the best thing. Without re relationships, nothing else really matters on this planet. But my subject today is not marriage. And it's not the biological family, and it's not best friends, and it's not neighborhood or anything of that nature. Today I want to talk to you about the fact that God designed us to be a part of a spiritual family. In the beginning, starting from the first two people and going up through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the biological family was the spiritual family. You know, the, the patriarchs. The oldest guy was the priest, and he led everybody else. And then came the nation of Israel, the only time in history that God chose a nation as his own to bless and to be a blessing to others. And then Jesus came, and he died on the cross with God incarnate in human flesh, perfect. He died on the cross and paid the price of our sins, and he made it clear that his death was to bring all people together, all nations, all cultures together under the blood of Christ. And he left behind us his church where we're to have a spiritual family. And it's really important. It's not my idea. It's his idea. And we can learn some things, by the way, about our spiritual family. 
our need for spiritual family by going back and reading about the very first church, the church in Jerusalem. And by the way, they didn't just go to church together. They did life together. They went over to each other's house, and they had Bible studies together, and they ate meals together. And they, uh, they, they went down to Cypress Lakes, and they played golf together. And they got up and, and went to the park run on Saturday morning, and they ran together. And they met for coffee on Thursday morning, Bon Beans, this coming Thursday morning at 7 o'clock. They did life together, and then and, and, and they got together and had lunch. Now, of course, that didn't happen, but they did life together. They, 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 they didn't just go to church and then go their separate ways. They lived life together. They realized that, that that's not the church over there. We are the church. That word translated church in the New Testament means assembly. It's not a building where people meet together. This building is not the church. You are the church, not this building. Uh, church is not a some kind of a hierarchy of ecclesiastical authority, whatever that means. Church is people. A church is, and this is my latest definition, a church is an assembly of baptized believers in Christ who have committed themselves to Christ and to each other for the purpose of serving him by serving others. We are a, an assembly, a group uh, of people saved, identified with him through baptism. We commit ourselves to each other. It's a commitment. We're not dating. You know, we're not just living together. We commit ourselves to each other. And, and what we're committed to is serving Christ by serving others. Now, let's, let's read about that first church. We're going to read in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. So here's the situation. Jesus has just ascended back into heaven. You know, he died, he was buried, he rose on the third day. He spent about 40 days walking around on the earth. And then about 10 days prior to what we're going to read today, he went back up into heaven again. And he told his followers, he said, I want you to go back into the city of Jerusalem, and I want you to wait. Uh, the Holy Spirit is going to come and empower you. Acts chapter 1 says they were in an upstairs room. Acts chapter 2 says they were in a house, all together in one place. But according to Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came on the church there that day in the city of Jerusalem and empowered them to be the, uh, the witnesses for Jesus, to, uh, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, their own city, to be witnesses in Judea, their own state, to be witnesses in Samaria, which is the next state over, and to be witnessed in the uttermost parts of the earth, wherever you might go. And, and though that group of, of people, that 120 plus men and women, were given the gift, the ability to witness to all the pilgrims in the city of Jerusalem in whatever languages those people spake, spoke, 17 different languages. And after the witnessing was over with, the apostle Peter preached a sermon on that day. And at the close of that sermon, People who had heard the gospel preached by a bunch of Galileans, people from northern Israel, in their own language, believed, many of them believed, that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so, 
Here we are, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. Those who believed that Jesus was the Savior of the world were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's a pretty big increase from 120 to 3,000. That's, that's a bunch of people. And here's what they did, verse 42. They devoted themselves. That, that means they focused on, they gave their priority to, they stuck to some things. They devoted themselves to, first of all, the apostles' teaching. They wanted, they wanted to learn what truth was and what they were supposed to be doing. But they also devoted themselves to fellowship. We're going to look at that word for a minute, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Fellowship. Uh, and, and I'm just going to tell you the Greek word, because many of you have heard it. It's the word koinonia, and it means community or commonness or sharing. Not only did they vote, devote themselves to the to the teachings about Christ from the apostles, they devoted themselves to each other. That's what that's all about. That's what fellowship is all about. They committed themselves to each other. Now that fellowship may be partially described in the words to the breaking of bread and prayers because uh, they ate meals together and they prayed together, kind of like what we do in house groups. Ate meals together and they prayed together. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to each other. Verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Well, things were going, and things were growing, and things were going well. They were, everybody was enjoying it. They didn't care about themselves. Everybody just cared about God and about other people. Uh, and if a little something went wrong, it didn't bother them. They were, people were just in awe. And verse 44 says, all the believers were together had everything in common. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, this particular scenario of having everything in common, that is, they sold, uh, and if, if we read through the chapters, they didn't sell everything they had, just put it in a common pot. Whenever there was a need, if they had a piece of property extra that they did not need, stuff that they did not need, they would sell it to help take care of people. Uh, and that selling of property and possessions seems to be unique to that particular church in that situation. It is not communism in the modern political sense for a couple of reasons. First of all, it was totally voluntary. There was no forced redistribution of wealth. If, if you had something and you wanted to sell it and give the money to people in need, you could do that. And if you wanted to keep the money yourself, you could do that. That's very clear as we read on. It is not a redistribution of wealth. But here's the best evaluation uh, of the situation is that the day of Pentecost came, this feast of the Jews, and the Holy Spirit came on the church, and 3,000 people got saved and added to the church, and most of those people were from out of town. And instead of going home when they were supposed to go home, they hung around. Uh, and the locals helped take care of did anything they could because they realized that these possessions of mine... Uh, you know, they're not really mine. That house that I live in is not mine. It belongs to God. That, that truck that I drive, that doesn't really belong to me. That's God's truck. I get a little upset if somebody puts a nick in it, but God probably doesn't, uh, isn't probably bothered by that. So, uh, but, there, but there's still a principle here of caring for others and sharing for others. That's something that never changed. In the ancient churches, 
they cared about and they sacrificed to give to people. Verse 46, every day. They got together every day. They lived life together. Every day. They continued meeting together in the temple court. Every day uh, they would go into the temple court area. Every day, this was kind of their their church meeting, their large group meeting. Everybody got together every day. People knew where we were going to be, and they would come out and meet. And then they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They accomplished this commonness or this fellowship, not only by getting together for church in public. Uh, they went to the temple ground. No, there were no church buildings in those days, by the way. It was over 200 years before the first church building was built. But they also met daily in their houses. That's where the idea of small groups or house groups came from. And, and, and here's the result. The result of devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine and to fellowship is seen in the next test, text. They were, verse 47, the next verse, verse 47, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were praising God. They weren't thinking about themselves. They were praising God, and they were sharing, and they were caring about other people, and they were studying, this is what God wants us to do, and this is what we're going to do. And here is the result of that. They were enjoying the favor of all the people. Isn't that, isn't that neat? The people who weren't part of the group said, that's a pretty good group over there. They got something going on over there. Those people actually love other people. Those people over there, they, uh, they always have a good attitude about things. That sounds a lot like what we want as individuals and what we want to be as a church, doesn't it? We want to be praising God. We want to be caring about other people. So that people look at us from the outside and they say, hmm, not bad. I don't believe in that God of theirs, but you know, they're, they're okay. That's what we want. We can learn much from the original form of Christianity. They didn't just go to church together. They did life together. They did stuff together. They realized that, or they didn't have a church built. They realized that they were the church. They cared about each other. They took care of each other. If they saw a need, they went and took care of it. They met in each other's homes. They ate meals together. They sold some of their stuff to make sure nobody went hungry. Nobody went without shelter. All the time, their attitude is, Jesus is coming back. This life that we live here that that is seems that's so important to us as it should be. Jesus is coming back. And this is just temporary this short time. And, and we live forever with him in that new place with all those people who went before us that have trusted in Christ. Now, my thought, my one thought for you this morning is this thought right here. You need. I need. We all need a spiritual family for two purposes, for fellowship, that is for commonness and community and for acceptance. Fellowship, because God designed us to need each other. You can be all independent if you want to, but you're not. 
need people. God made us to need not only him, but people with skin on. We need people around, people who love us. You cannot serve God fully by yourself. Church is God's idea of how we get together and serve him by serving other people. Not my idea, God's idea. Acceptance is that second word. Acceptance, we need a spiritual family that will provide acceptance because we're all flawed. We all mess up on a regular basis. We all have needs. We're all broken people. You can't live your life fooling everybody into thinking everything is okay with me because it's not okay with you. It's not okay with you. It's not okay with me. Stuff breaks my heart and disappoints me on a regular basis. I disappoint me on a regular basis. And the same thing is true of you. Exactly the same thing is true. And you think, well, if everybody knew me, buddy, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. We all think the same thing. It's not okay. Nobody is all okay. All of us are broken. And that's why we need a spiritual family for acceptance. Now, over the past several years, I've asked you to make three commitments. I'm going to bring them up again today. As we enter this season that begins with Thanksgiving and culminates with Christmas, I know there's still New Year, but it culminates in Christmas. I want us to think about these things one more time. The first commitment is this. Let's love first and then stand against sin. That's not easy. If we're talking about loving people that disagree with us politically, and we're talking about loving people who disagree with us morally. We're talking about people that don't look like us and don't worship like us. Let's love first. And then we'll stand against sin. Because until you love, nothing else makes any difference whatsoever. What Paul said in verse 19, 13. Until you love, doesn't matter. Number two. Let's determine to pray more than we worry. And I could have cut it off right there, right? Let's turn, but I, I made it longer. Let's determine to pray more than we worry and to spend more time in God's Word than we spend worrying. Worrying wastes a lot of our life. Worrying paralyzes us and stops us from doing the things we need to be doing. Worrying uh, makes us die earlier. Worrying is bad. So we need to pray and let God speak to us through his word more than the time we spend worrying. So if you find yourself worrying, pray about it. Or open the Gospel of John and start reading. Or if you have a favorite passage of Scripture in Philippians or something, then read that. Let's determine to pray more than we worry. And the last one is this. We're better together. That's what the spiritual family thing is all about. We're better together. Let's commit ourselves to each other and to Christ in church membership. Commitment to this particular church. I remain absolutely committed to the belief that commitment to a local church body is the only way to be committed to Christ. It's what you need. It's not about me, you know, as a pastor. It's what you need. It's not enough to date for the rest of your life or to live together. There has to be a commitment involved. Commitment is good. Commitment is hard. Commitment makes us vulnerable. But commitment 
builds us up. Commitment grows us. Commitment matures us. Commitment makes us available and usable by God. I'm also convinced that each of us needs to be in a small group where we can be accepted and be a part. A small group like we have on Sunday nights, Tuesday nights, and Wednesday nights around here. Uh, we have a small group that meets before church on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. Uh, we do a Bible study, not quite as intimate as the Sunday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night group. This past Tuesday night in our house group, after we'd eat our meal, read scripture and prayed, a member of our group had something important that they wanted to say, uh, something private they wanted to share. If you weren't there, you don't ever get to know anything about it. Because uh, it's none of your business to know about it. Uh, what was shared, what's shared in house group stays in house group. That's the way it goes, and that's one of the reasons we have it. By the way, before it was over, another of our group members shared some experience of life and salvation. House group is a place where we can be honest about things. Uh, you, by the way, you'll never be pressured. I'm not saying, come to house group where we spill our guts every Tuesday and Wednesday night. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying that at all. Most of the time, that doesn't go on, right? That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is that as we, as we laugh together and as we tell stories together and as we share things together and as we eat together and as we, we usually do a video Bible study together, as we do those things, if and when, there's something you need to say, then you say it. And, and nobody condemns you because of what you said. I don't agree with that. Uh, uh, and by the way, what we shared on Tuesday night had nothing to do with sin. I'll just let you, know, let you know about that. But I don't agree with that or whatever. We just share. Church and house groups are God's ideas, not my ideas. God's ideas to which each of us Needs to make a commitment if we're going to be everything God wants us to be. If we're going to be fulfilled, relationships are important. Uh, Husband-wife relationships, parent-child relationships, grandparent relationships, aunt and uncle relationships, next-door neighbor relationships, best friend relationships. Those things are all really, really, really important. And I love them. But the spiritual family is what makes all the other things important. So I call you this morning to make a commitment to be a part of the spiritual family, the family here at Milestones of Church, the family uh, of uh, a house group that you can talk to me about or a Christian about uh, or Todd or James about. Do that. Think about that. Pray about that. Father in heaven, I know you're here today and I thank you for being here. I thank you for loving us. I know you care about us. You want us to feel loved. You want us to feel accepted. You want us to feel a part. You want us to feel helped. You want us to be able to help others. Guide us in being a true part, a committed part of a spiritual family. In Jesus' name.